1: Welcome, fellow Wanderers. Today, I'm joined by fantasy author and fellow Tolkien superfan, Aaron N. Hall. Aaron is author of the Wevlian Chronicles and Hammerfist series. He and I met at FanX in Salt Lake City this year, 2023. And I think our conversation started off by me walking up to his booth and saying something like, what influence, if any, has Tolkien had on your work? Uh, and from there, we had a short conversation. And here we are today. Aaron, thank you for joining us on the Lore of the Rings podcast.
0: Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation.
1: Help us understand a little bit what is it about the movies and Tolkien's story, Tolkien's World, that just draws you in and captivates you?
0: I've seen the movies. I can't tell you how many times. I mean, I was raised on those movies. Um, I didn't finish reading the trilogy for my first time until this last year. I was very late to the game. I still haven't read The Cimmerillion. I'm a little intimidated by it, but um dude, reading the books, like had a it was so profound. I mean, my favorite book was To Kill a Mockingbird for the longest time until I finished reading Lord of the Rings and now it's like Lord of the Rings, Return of the Kings, like that is my favorite book, you know. The movies are perfect. Um, I can't think of any other film trilogy that's so perfectly well done. For a while I thought even like the original Star Wars trilogy could give it a run for its money, but as I've gotten older, I'm like, nah, yeah, no. Like it's really good. Star Wars varies in quality so much. Um and I feel like everything well not everything, like but most lord of the rings stuff that's been produced the books, the movies, they are absolute S tier quality 10 out of 10 works um, rings of power was good, I liked it but I feel like it it, it didn't match the quality of Peter Jackson's trilogy um, but yeah, it's, it's the movies are perfect it's perfect fantasy perfect casting special effects still hold up 20 years later um, it's fantastic it's so good, I mean it's like I rewatch the trilogy at least once a year, like at least, and it's gotta be the extended editions and you gotta make it like a, th- a three day weekend thing.
1: Yeah. yeah. There's no other version except the extended version. That's, that's all there is. Right.
0: I know. Have Have you ever gone back and tried to watch the theatrical versions after seeing the extended editions? It feels weird. I was like, well, wait, wh- where's this? Like this is missing what's going on, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Share with us your personal journey of discovering Tolkien's universe. I mean, you've, you said you've seen the movies for a while. Tell us, how did you discover that? And, and what has that journey been like for you?
0: Oh, dude, I was 10 or 11 years old. I remember standing in my dad's office because he pulled me and my brothers in to watch this trailer that he saw online based off these books that he loved as a kid called Lord of the Rings. And I remember thinking, that's kind of an interesting name. And we watched this trailer of Fellowship of the Ring with... Horses riding and Liv Tyler shouting, if you want him, come and claim him. And I was just thinking, oh, this looks cool. You know, I could get into this because, you know, as a little kid, I loved movies like Sword in the Stone and um, Neverending Story and um, uh, Black Cauldron. So it looked like more of that kind of stuff. Um, And, you know, my dad was such a huge Lord of the Rings fan. We made sure we had tickets. I think it was for opening night. But uh, I remember we, the only seats we could get were, like, kind of close to the screen. um. So it was a lot to take in as, like, a 10- or 11-year-old. And it's a long movie for a kid to be sitting through, too. But I it, it was also competing with Harry Potter at the time for, like, popularity in the theaters. Of course, oh, I forget that.
1: Old. I really forget yeah. that. Yeah, yeah Fellowship That's of the true. Ring
0: and Sorcerer's Stone came out, like, the same, like, within a month of each other, you know? um. So i saw harry potter and was like this is great i love this because i'd read the books and love them but i saw lord of the rings and i'm gonna be honest with you aaron like gandalf falling down kazad doom like battling the balrog ruined the movie for me as an 11 year old i was like gandalf dies what this is i hate this movie it's so dumb um we i'm walking out of the theater i remember my dad like he loved it and he was just like this is incredible and he was talking to us like what did you guys think would you like it and my brother's like yeah i liked it and i was like i don't like it gandalf does stupid you know um but when we got home he ended up like pulling me aside because you know i was so distraught over that and he's like hey listen don't tell your brothers but gandalf comes back in the second movie all right so he's not dead i was like o- okay but uh Yeah, seeing the other two movies, we had better you know seats in the theater, and you know, Return of the King won all of those Oscars, rightfully so, and uh, it's just phenomenal. I mean, but that's where it started for me. It was like once you saw that, saw those, like in my early adolescent years, it was I was off to the races. I mean, I was watching that movie, that trilogy, at least once a year. Had to be done.
1: I'm the same way, you know. I think I'm just a little bit, just a couple years older than you, and I remember Mm -hmm. going to the theaters at fourteen, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen and uh, just experiencing those movies for the first time. And it's funny that you remember that moment of, you know, Gandalf falling into a chasm, right. And and thinking that he died. And as, as a boy that, that sort of, that struck you to your heart, right. I mean, here's this character where a couple hours before you didn't even know he ever existed. Right. Even though Gandalf's been around for decades, but you were so enchanted by Gandalf and his character and his motivation and his story that when it, abruptly ends like that uh it it's you feel betrayed you it's very jarring and, and you're so distraught you know there's a lot to be said like there's a lot of modern stories where characters there's no real consequence to characters decisions like if somebody dies they just come back i mean we we ripped on star wars a little bit like this is kind of one of my main complaints about star wars like the likelihood if you fall down a pit is you you probably survive you're you're alive okay. again you know yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just uh, it's
0: like- so so palpatine's back are you kidding me are you kidding me yeah
1: and it's just like a line in the opening scroll there's nothing and that's the thing where i like tolkien is like okay yeah i'm gonna kill a character he's gonna be gandalf but the thing about it is there's so much depth and complexity to that because gandalf is he's an immortal creature right he's he Mm -hmm. comes from the west and and his body dies and what does that actually look like and can he be brought back to like in life and and if he does then what does that look like and so that's just I think one of the things from a storytelling perspective that sets Tolkien apart from mm-hmm. especially modern storytellers of their actual consequences and if you're going to bring somebody back to life like that, like it has to be it has to make sense within the rules of the universe. you can't just have one line in an opening crawl and say, "Yeah, Palpatine's back. All sure. of your childhood movies are just shattered
0: yeah I mean if if you're going to bring someone back like that, you have to allude to it and it has to be meaningful. I mean there has to be some build up to it I mean In the case of Rise of Skywalker, that was just, I have like two rants to go on, but number one, like Rise of Skywalker just felt like anxious filmmaking. It was coming from a place of assaging the concerns of an angry Star Wars fan base, but they forgot to tell a meaningful story in that. It was just like, it felt like a chat GPT (laughs) fan service script and it just, and it made everyone upset. It's like, oh, we just got a crappy movie out of this and it just ruined anything, but Back on Gandalf, I wanted to talk about the importance of um Ian McKellen's performance as well because I feel like to to represent that character that so many nerds have loved for decades already um, and to bring him to life in a way that like could capture the affection of an eleven year old boy who's never heard of this guy before and you know have one hour an hour and a half with him before he passes like that tore me up um but you know, it's hard to imagine anyone besides Ian McKellen playing Gandalf because he did it so perfectly, and it's to the point where, like, if you see Ian McKellen in every, any other movie, it's oh, that's Gandalf, you know?
1: Yep, there he is. Exactly.
0: Yeah, just phenomenal performance, absolutely. And he was nominated for an Oscar for that too. So
1: perfect performance, and and the casting, I think, across all of the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit movies, I think, is just absolutely superb. I mean, say mm-hmm. what you will about the Hobbit series, and. It's quality is not quite up to par, I think, with what Lord of the Rings was, mm-hmm. but the casting there, I think, is still spot on, for sure.
0: I enjoyed the Hobbit movies. I mean, they were good, but Lord of the Rings is exceptional. I mean, that's such a high bar to set. How do you, how do you match that, let alone you know, exceed it? Um, so yeah, but I mean, Martin Freeman, that's his name, right? Martin Freeman as, as Bilbo? He did a great job. It was so much fun. Um, I remember seeing the behind-the-scenes footage on like some of the Blu-rays, how like, the editor's We're struggling because, like, every single take that he did was so good that it was like, which one do we pick? You know, he's every time, like, the camera rolls, he just delivers gold. So that's probably a good problem to have.
1: Yeah, absolutely for sure. And and uh, circling back, I mean, we've talked a little about, you know, Lord of the Rings is top-notch quality. Hobbit is still pretty good, but not quite Lord of the Rings. And you know, we riffed on Star Wars a little bit about the quality of those stories being all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and the oliphant in the room for Lord of the Rings right now is the Amazon series Rings of Power.
0: Yeah, Rings of Power.
1: Yeah, so and did I... You want
0: my, you, sorry, you go ahead.
1: Yeah, I, let's, let's dig into Rings of Power a little bit. I did, you have a blog post about this and it was, yeah. it was pretty high level and I thought you were pretty fair. You had some, some good things and some criticisms to say, but um, let's yeah. talk a little bit about Rings of Power. How do you feel like, what it, what's the good in Rings of Power? What's the bad? Initially, I, I want to,
0: hats off, to the people at Amazon who spearheaded this project. Because, I mean, with its budget and with its subject, I mean, the stakes were already so high, you know? You know, to add something meaningful to the Tolkien universe is, that's, that's a huge undertaking. From what I understand, and you can correct me on this, is that they were very limited on what they were allowed to use. Like, apparently, like, there were certain parts of the Cimmerillion that they weren't allowed to touch. Um, so they kind of had to, like, make some things up, question mark, on their own that felt like it would fit. So that's, I don't know. That's you're, you're running a race with a sprained foot already. Um, but I liked it. I liked the show overall. It was like a seven out of 10. Um, I feel like visually it was one of the most stunning shows I've ever seen. Like visually it was impeccable from the, um, the makeup, the wardrobes, the CGI. It just looked incredible. Um, I liked the characters. Um, I liked the twist at the end. I thought it worked. The only, the biggest issue that I thought it struggled with was its pacing. It felt like a lot of episodes were building up to something. And there was one episode of payoff in those like eight or nine episodes where I was like, Oh my gosh, that was awesome. Like, I can't wait to see what comes next, but nothing important really came next. It just, it felt like it was building up to something with, with very little payoff. And, You know, as an audience, I want to have kind of those roller coaster moments where you have the huge payoff, and then you have the lulls that builds up to the next payoff, but we got like seven episodes of build-up, an eighth episode of payoff that was exceptional, and then like another episode of tour that were like good, but at the end, when it was all over and season one had concluded and the credits rolled, I just felt like, you know, I just, I wasn't fully satisfied. Um... I'm excited to see what they do with season two. I hope they knock the ball out of the park. Um, uh, but season one was just, it was good, but it could have been, it could have been better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree a lot with, with what you're saying. I think visually it was, it was, you know, top notch 10 for 10. Um, the music, yeah. you know, I, I do really enjoy the music. It's fantastic. Yeah. But you know, like you say, the storytelling, the pacing of that story, the building up the payoff. I do feel like there was, um, really something missing there. And, uh, you know I, I look at you you are a storyteller right you're the, you're a mm-hmm. fantasy author and and mm-hmm. uh you've got a couple of books out there and, and i've even you know watched some of your instagram posts um and it's like your storytelling style is very engaging to me like Thank you me. know i feel like there's some build off there's build up and there's payoff like you even had one little sh- story about <laughs> kidnapping a kid right and i you know and yeah. i only saw it for about 30 seconds or so and it, it was a fun little story but it was so engaging mm-hmm. if Let's pretend that the showrunners of Amazon Rings of Power, they came to you. They came to Aaron Hall and they said, "Hey, rewrite one of our episodes for us. You can pick any episode you want to do, and you can rewrite it any way you want to rewrite it." What would you do?
0: Oh gosh, see, I don't know because it's first of all, it's been like months and months and months since I've seen the show. It's been a year. It's been a year. Okay, all right, it's been a solid year, so I would have to go back and rewatch the first season. I don't know. I feel like I almost feel like that episode where I'm assuming everyone on this podcast has probably like seen it by now. Okay. The episode where Mount Doom erupts and becomes Mount Doom. That should have been the season finale, like right there, because that was the episode that had the most intensity. Um that was the episode that blew my mind. I was like, "Holy crap, 10 out of 10. That was awesome." Um and then we had the extra stuff an episode or two later with Sauron um kind of like revealing himself. I thought that was interesting. Um but it's like that that huge episode should have been the finale and we would want some more simmering um little like hints and clues like along the way that feel like they were delivered a little bit differently. I would just I have to go back and rewatch it, man. I mean, it's it's been so long. I need to revisit it.
1: I I get that. And and I think I think that response is somewhat telling because, you know, we've, we've talked about the Lord of the Rings movies and how we feel like, yeah, we watch the extended version. We do that every year. But then Rings of Power, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a thing that happened. And, uh, yeah. oh, yeah, it, it's, it's been a year ago, you know? And so it's like, I feel like there was, there was a lot of potential there. And uh, I am really, I, for one, am really hoping, um, I want them to succeed. Like, I want, mm-hmm. I want yeah. on-screen Middle-Earth uh, material to just be epic, and amazing, and enchanting storytelling, and so, you know, I'm not rooting for them to crash and burn, I'm not calling it fan fiction, or anything like that, I do want them to succeed, and I do feel like their storytelling, their dialogue, their pacing, everything that, that you've kind of said, does need a bit of an upgrade.
0: Yeah, and you know, the showrunners hadn't written for any major production before, ever, you know, from what I understand, it's like, you know uh, the Tolkien estate listened to pitches from all these major studios who wanted to pick up Lord of the Rings and you know do their own series but none of them felt right until they met these two guys who you know had never worked on a major show before and they said here's our idea you know this is how we would approach it and Simon Tolkien was like yeah that's the one that's the one that feels the best to me so these two newbies basically stepped up to the plate to do this and shoot man if this is their first show ever i think you're doing pretty good you know like that's that's huge shoes to fill huge clown shoes to fill like size 27s so yeah i i i'm hopeful for season two i hope they improve upon what they've previously done because i'm like you i just i don't want to see anybody fail when it comes to pursuing their dream of writing for a tolkien property that could be awesome a huge honor um but yeah and yeah, even if it is fan fiction there's some great fan fiction out there and you know who who's to stop them from making some glorified fan fiction for amazon that's cool I, I'm, I'm about that
1: i really love how you say that and i, I will give them credit i mean the the time period of the idea that they that they picked i think of all the ideas that i heard thrown around or rumored around like a young aragorn i was like oh, okay that's cool or like a gimli slash Legolas loss spinoff okay great or but of all the ideas or rumors that i heard i was like yes this is the most epic this is the most expansive and it's also the most like you have a lot of wiggle room because tolkien of that era wrote mostly like high sketches like the actual detailed stories are pretty few and far between of the second age of middle earth um and plus it's like it's a perfect it's a perfect prequel right we have the Mm -hmm. rings of power that we're trying to destroy how were those created in the first place like what a fascinating question so Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. We should give them some credit. If this is their very first major major show that they have done, they they've picked the right ballpark to play in. I just Mm -hmm. hope they can bring the A team to play the game. You know,
0: for sure. I I totally agree. And you know, like this is why I'll never be approached to make anything for the Tolkien property because I would want to do something like, what if in the Shire there were like two Hobbit families who were trying to compete on like who could grow the biggest squash? You know, and and how do they start like behaving like mafia families to like sabotage the other one? And it would be this like almost like a comedy series. Um, that's what I would approach with, and I'm sure Simon or Simon Tolkien would be like, "Dude, get out of my house! I don't want to hear this." <laughs> you know.
1: That would be fun, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, Simon Tolkien would de- would definitely uh would squash <laughs> that for sure.
0: Um, squash that. Squash yeah, exactly. <laughs> no pun intended. There we uh, go. That's funny.
1: We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends, and remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game, a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to Wandering. So let's, let's circle back around a little bit to, to Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know, you talked about how Gandalf and you kind of had that moment in the theater um, and I like to ask people their favorite character in Lord of the Rings, but there's so many, so I'm gonna be really nice, and I'm gonna give you three. So your top three favorite characters in all of Lord of the Rings.
0: In all of Lord of the Rings, well, number one, Sam, of course, you know, because he's he's the actual hero of the story. I actually I collect Funko Pops, um, and they're like sitting on my uh, my bookcases in you know in my place and. Usually the way I do it is I pick my favorite character from every fandom that I feel like has done something meaningful or has affected me. And of course I picked Sam. You know, i got to have the Sam Funko. Um, I think he's holding his sword. But uh, Sam is awesome. I mean, Frodo would not have gotten far without Sam. Uh, and their, their friendship, the love that they have for each other is just so pure and good. Um, and I love that. Uh, number two. Shoot. Gosh, this is a hard question. This is, like, I'm racking my brains now. I'm, like, weighing things out. It's, like, I feel like two and three, it's going to be Aragorn and Gandalf. You know, and it, it, it's so close. It's hard to put, like, one above the other. But Gandalf just being the the father figure to to Frodo that he needs and wants and also this badass wizard, you know, just doing his thing. And he's funny, too. You know, like, the all the crap that he gives to Pippin all the time. You know, it's just funny. Um, and it's, like, in, in the books where uh, um, the Ents and Merry and Pippin have just taken Isengard. Um, and, you know, they don't even know... Well, they, at that point, they do know that Gandalf is alive, right? Like, they met him very briefly in Fangorn Forest, yeah. Um, but after they've taken Isengard, Gandalf's, like, riding by... Um, to catch up with some other people, and he stops and sees the wreckage and fires an order at Pippin without even saying, like, hi, and, like, so good to see you're doing well. It's just like, Pippin, listen to me! Like, this is what's going on! And just always always giving him crap. Um, and Aragorn, of course, just just the ideal, like, image of masculinity. He's so strong, so capable, so so trustworthy, and so loving and good to not just his friends, but all of those he comes in contact with those, those three characters are so compelling and great. Um, And I I think they kind of underscore why Lord of the Rings has resonated with so many of us throughout the years is because we love these characters, you know, it's not, and it's not just like, Oh yeah, I love that character. It's like, no, like I have a deep affection for all of these characters. Um, And Tolkien was able to create that in this fully realized world. And it's like, you become friends with them and you want them to become, you want them to be a part of your life. Uh, and that's why we revisit the material over and over again. So, I don't know. That was a very long way to answer your very simple question. So,
1: that it's perfect. Well, I mean, it's a simple question to ask, but, but pretty complex to answer, right? There's a lot lots yeah. to weigh and a lot to think about. And, and I think you're right. The, the depth of the characters is, is something that, that really touches us and on a very emotional, a very human level. Um, I, I've read The Lord of the Rings out loud to my boys, you know, for bedtime stories. Um, oh, that's I've got awesome. two boys and um, there are times when uh, I have to like slow down because I'm getting so emotional about reading these mm-hmm. stories out loud and these characters, you know, and some oh, things yeah. that Sam says and, and, uh, and, and, you know, some, it, it's just, I have to slow down and be like, "Cake okay, boys, I'm not going to cry in front of you. Um, but <laughs> maybe I should, maybe I should, maybe yeah, that's what cry I cry in front of
0: do. your boys. That's good. That's healthy. Maybe that's um, what Eric would do. Yeah. Return of the King was the last book that made me cry. And like, it's, it's, I don't get emotional reading books very often at all. It's very rare. But where, when Sam is carrying Frodo at Mount Doom, you know, it's, it's a beautiful moment in the movies. It's fantastic. So well done. But I remember reading it in the book, because you, you're with them every step. You know, you, you're in their heads. You're, you're walking that trip to Mount Doom with them. And it feels, it feels so much more personal in the books. Um, I had to bookmark my book and set it down on a coffee table and just like like wipe my eyes. Just like, okay, this is this is a really good book. And I had to pick it back up and keep reading because it was like, whoa, this is powerful. Oh gosh, it just hit the spot. All oh, just all all the emotions you experience in Lord of the Rings. It's perfect.
1: Very moving, very enchanting, yeah. for sure. Yeah. One of the interesting aspects about Tolkien is not only does he have these very enchanting emotionally driven characters that you just fall in love with you feel like as you say you're with them every step of the way but his world is also huge and complex and and you know Holy he goes realized. deep on mythol mythology and history yes. he even delves into the realm of like the sacred and the religious he's got these all of these invented languages in your own writing do you find yourself trying to create like the same intricate backstories and mythologies for your fictional worlds and if you do how do you strike the balance between all of this intricate backstory, and the world building, and and the storytelling—how do you find the balance Lord. there?
0: First of all, um, Tolkien's world building is, you know, the standard. It's like if you want to build deep lore, like it's—he—he he is the Bible when it comes to that. I mean, the only person I can think of who could possibly rant, like, you know, give him a run for his money in this current age is probably Brandon Sanderson. But even Brandon, like. You know, you're hard-pressed to match Tolkien. And, I mean, I consider myself a pretty pretty good writer. Um, the Wevelian Chronicles, I started writing when I was 15 years old. So my ability to world-build as a high schooler is not anywhere near what Tolkien ed, is is did. And I don't know if I'll ever be on that level, if I'm being honest. Um, so what I did when I approached the Wevelian Chronicles... Was I more so created the characters, and I knew what the conflict should be, what I wanted it to be, and I tried to build the world around that. And from what my understanding is, Tolkien did the opposite, where he kind of created the world, he set the stage, created all the lore, the mythology. I mean, everything, every excruciating detail, and then he penned the story of Lord of the Rings within that. So yeah, we we just kind of like flip flopped the approaches. The Wevelian Chronicles takes place in a world where kings and queens are like called by a sacred dragon god to rule over people. So there's an element of you have to be a good person to rule with supreme executive power, you know? So that was my main idea when I was writing it as a 15-year-old. And I thought it was compelling and cool. But it's like, as I've gotten older, I've seen, you know, how I could have improved so much as a 15-year-old. That's why I'm actually starting the works of a new fantasy series that will come down the line in the coming years um, called Tales of the Ten Realms, which will feel a little bit more Lord of the Rings, feel a little bit more Game of Thrones, more fully realized. Because I'm thinking about, like, what, who are these groups of people and these societies in each realm? Um, what is important to their societies? Like, how do they govern? Um, how do they have wars with one another over certain resources or whatever? But what is like the mythology and the religion or whatever that keeps it all unified? Because I do want to have that kind of like Cimmerillion-esque mythological uh world building um at the very beginning to kind of pull it all together. Uh but this is gonna be years down the line, man. I have other projects I'm gonna be working on in the immediate future. But if you do want to read stories from Tales of the Ten Realms, I am including them as short stories in my current like collections. You know, you can read one from um I'm sorry here's a plasma rifle the short stories are called Heaven Spire I mean I don't want to like spoil anything but it's like a two-parter in the in the collection of short stories and it's very good and this next book that I have coming out um called Love Letters to a House on Fire has a, a short story that revolves around a family in a different realm within the 10 realms so I'm like slowly introducing like stories that take place in this universe but full novels will come much later
1: yeah well i think uh, that's that is really inspiring and and i think you could also take a little bit of heart in knowing that that is in some ways how tolkien also approached his own writing style was he'd have these little snippets of a story like and maybe mm-hmm. it was just an idea maybe it was just a paragraph it would so- slowly evolve into a short story um and then these short stories would slowly become longer as he would come back to it years sometimes decades later and then these stories he began to realize oh my goodness they, they're starting to connect Right, um, but in his mind, it was all about the the invented languages, the mm-hmm. the history, the mythology of it all. Um, and then he realized, oh, I should probably have a, a story here that connects everything together, right? Mm-hmm. But that that process of over years taking taking a slow approach to crafting a story, and sometimes you don't always see how the puzzle pieces are going to fit together. Um, yeah. I think I think that's a really beautiful approach, and so. Uh, I think uh, what did you call it? Tales from the Ten Realms is is that your yeah
0: tales Tales of the Ten Realms. That's like the the working title because um, there are ten realms in this world, um, but yeah, they're all like different kingdoms that are kind of connected. Um, but yeah, it's it's gonna be very like Lord of the Rings, Dungeons and Dragons, very like O G high fantasy, and I'm excited, you know, because at 15 years old, I was a really good writer for my age, you know, but like and thankfully the webleyan chronicles i've had help from some really good editors in recent years who have helped me kind of like tidy up my work um, and it's still a great read like the trilogy's really great if you're if you're into something that feels like game of thrones with the symbolism and mythology of like chronicles of narnia but i'm a much better writer now like i've gotten so much better in recent years so i'm excited to take a stab at high fantasy again in the near future where it feels like it's just going to hit all the right notes. You know, it's going to be a really, really good read.
1: Awesome. Well, I, I, uh, I look forward to, to hearing that story. And, and, you know, it's funny you mentioned being a good writer for 15, because when I was, you know, 14, 15, and just having experienced the Lord of the Rings movies and some of the books and some other fantasy authors, I also tried my hand at writing, you know, some fantasy stories and things. And Awesome. We were great writers at the time, right? But uh, <laughs> yeah. looking back, I'm sure there's things we would we would change to edit now. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: tell me about it, man, but that's, that's the creator's curse. I mean, like you'll I'll, I'm sure I'll look back at what I'm writing now in 10 years and be like, "Oof, man, I still had so much to learn, and, and that's the beauty of it. We're always learning. We're always developing in our crafts, and that's okay. You can look back and say, "Shoot." That was okay at the time, but I'm so much better now, and you'll be right.
1: And it's funny, we say this, you, the curse of the, of the creator, Tolkien had a word that he would use in some of his academic writings And when he was writing about Lord of the Rings, he called it subcreation. right? This idea of we're all creatures under a great creator, mm-hmm. and part of our nature is to try to create things, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever that is, right? And you can see that in Lord of the Rings. They're always creating rings or creating silmarils or creating mm-hmm. kingdoms or statues, you know, uh, but this idea of subcreation that we're always trying to create has just kind of been in the nature of of, uh, of humans.
0: I love that. You know, I think that's why I really admire the work of artists and writers, and because those are the givers in our lives. You know, I feel like I feel like when it comes down to it, like the world has two kinds of people: there are givers and there are takers. There are the takers who want to build their own little empire; and they want to take what they can, you know, and you know, get themselves all wealthy, situated company, whatever, but then there's the givers who create things for others to enjoy, you know, whether you're writing an epic fantasy or you're painting a beautiful portrait or something, you're just, you're creating things to help make the world better, and I want to be a giver um, through my stories, um, and Tolkien definitely did that for us, because, I mean, look at, look at all the lives he's touched through um, the, the world and the people that he created. It's, it's amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Aaron, for our listeners who are eager to explore your work uh, further, where can they find more information about you, your books, and any upcoming projects uh, that you'd like to share?
0: Well, if this, if this episode drops on October 12th, my new book is out today, Love Letters to a House on Fire, Stories, Poems, and Ransom Notes. Um, it's on Amazon, um, where all my books can be found. Uh, but if, if you want to take a look at like my broader work, read my blog, see my other works, just go to AaronNPaul.com. A. A. Ron, another end for my middle initial, walkthroughthehall.com. Um, but that's a great starting point. You'll find everything you need right there.
1: Perfect. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well for anyone who uh, thank wants you. to explore. Yeah. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. This has been uh, a real treat for me. Uh, thank you for wandering Middle Earth with me today.
0: The pleasure was mine. Thanks for the invitation.
1: My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at More of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.